Hello, Northeast Christian Church, and welcome to our online services. Thank you for joining us today. If you miss any part of today's service and you want to catch it again, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. We also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date on everything we have going on here at the church. God bless and enjoy the rest of the service. I am so glad I am not Pastor Paul because the responsibility that comes with ministry, oh my goodness, I am so glad. But uh, we are blessed to have Pastor Paul uh, as a pastor. Maryville and I, when we first came to the church about a year ago, as soon as we met him, our spirit connected with him. We said, is that guy from the South? <laughs> because we, we, were, we were so amazed at his uh, welcome attitude and and of course, his warmth in the church as a whole has been a tremendously welcoming church to us. So we are very blessed to be here. So I am humbled and honored to share the word of God with you again today. <clears throat> and it is not, no small responsibility to me, as I know I am not worthy. No man is worthy to, uh, to serve God. If it weren't for God's grace and God's calling upon our lives, we would not be able to, to serve him. So with that said... I'm happy to report, last time I was here, I had a subject of complaint about my wife, about she never sang to me, I said. Well, I'm happy to report that this is no longer the case, because she went on and recorded a song for me, so that I would not say that anymore. <laughs> so I guess now I can say I am perfect now, I'm fine, so I'm good, so no more reason to complain about my wife anymore. So this part is over. With that said, uh, why don't we uh, <clears throat> read a portion of scripture together. It will be from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It's one of the shortest passages I probably have ever shared from the Word of God from. So Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 13. It reads, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but, but much more in my absence, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you uh, once again for the opportunity to be in your presence. Thank you for uh, the blessing to worship with your people. And thank you for saving me, for saving us, and call us by your name, Lord. Today, as we open up your word, we ask that you would keep me from saying anything that is not of you, that you would bless your word, bless the preaching, the proclamation of your word, that it may achieve its purposes, that you may uh, transform our hearts, um, save souls, Lord, that needs to be saved, encourage those that need to be encouraged, strengthen those that need to be strengthened, and, and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title for the message today is No Excuses. 
No excuses. I'm not saying this from a cavalier standpoint, as though I'm perfect and I'm great. To give you an example, last Friday we were coming from uh, camp, Camp of the Woods. We're driving in the car and the kids were playing with Maryland's phone. So we needed some direction. So I put my, the GPS from my phone and then put it on the dash for Maryland to drive. And she was driving and all of a sudden, something went on the phone, Bing! a little reminder. So the reminder came and I didn't even notice it. I didn't pay attention or maybe I just swiped it off because we were focused on driving. I was thinking, okay, direction. And then a few moments go by and Marilyn said, how could you ignore a reminder that you set on your phone to do something at this time? I'm thinking, what did I forget? Oh, every night at eight o'clock, we're supposed to talk about our relationship. <laughs> and I put it on my phone as a reminder, eight o'clock, for us to have a 20 minute conversation. But somehow, days go by, I don't do anything about it. The reminder comes every night. She said, how could you ignore something that you put on your phone to remember to do? And I'm thinking, maybe this is where I pull the American card. I said, no, first I pulled the Bible card. I said, you know, Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath. Well, I'm Lord over my phone. <laughs> I'm Lord over my calendar. He doesn't tell me what to do. I decide. But, but that was like for the different mechanism. But when you think about it, what she was pointing your finger at was the fact that it is not easy to be consistent in our faith or in our walk. What we intend to do is not necessarily what we always do. And it is no different for the Christian world, no different for faith, no different for walking with God. That which God calls us to walk, we don't always walk. Well, we are supposed to do it. And at times, we find it challenging. It's easy to talk the talk, very hard to walk the walk. For instance, Jesus calls us to love our enemies, not just those who are nice to, to us, love our neighbors like ourselves, even those who are enemies. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Can you imagine? This is not easy task. As a matter of fact, this is impossible task for a human being to achieve. Because by nature, how are we as human? We are selfish. We, we want to look out for ourselves. We want to take care of our own interests. We want to look out for our own families, what makes us feel good, what makes us feel I mean, what, what, what serves our own purposes? But Jesus calls those who believe in him to do what? To do the opposite of what the human nature, the sinful nature, Paul calls it the flesh, wants us to do. Let's say you're a young believer, not married yet, or even if you are married yet. The Bible, God calls you to resist the internal impulses of the flesh so that you don't live in debauchery. The world lives for their own pleasure. Those who do not know Christ live according to what feels good. If it feels good, it must be good. But the Bible says, no, God defines that which is good. Therefore, we are to put to death the old flesh and put on the new, put on Christ. Those are not easy commands to obey. They are hard. The text we read today is a text about walking the walk. And if we unpack the text together, we're going to see that 
despite the fact that the Christian walk, the Christian life, is hard or even impossible in our natural self to obey, God leaves us no excuses not to walk the walk. Let's look at the text. Verse 12, we just read, says this. It says, therefore, I'm going to stop right here for a little bit. You know, one of my Bible training says, whenever you're reading a letter in the Bible or a text that is based on teaching, and you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is it there for? Otherwise, you're missing a very important logical connector. You are not going to understand what you are reading unless you know that which came before. Well, this therefore here, this is Paul giving the command, and he's saying, in light of which, that which I just said. What did Paul just say? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul speaks about that Paul copies a hymn that's probably was sung in the church that, said, that's, that asked the church to be uh, like Christ. Have this mind uh, of yours among you be of the same mind of Christ. What did Christ do? Christ humbled himself. He took off his own glory and his throne. He, he got off his throne from heaven, came down, took on the flesh, became a man. And he said this, he said, Christ obeyed God to the point of death. Christ humbled himself by obeying God to the point of death. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about obedience. It's talking about obedience. How do we know that? We said, and it's, it's, it says, as you have always obeyed. So Paul picked up of what he said about Christ. And if you read the whole book, which I recommend, that's how you read a letter, because your wife doesn't send you a letter or your girlfriend, and then you just read a, a sentence in it, and then you're done, right? So you read the whole letter from beginning to end. If you read the whole letter to the Philippians from beginning to end, you'll see in verse 27, chapter 1, Paul is talking about like where he asked the church to do what? To live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes and talking about unity. Do not be selfish. And then he calls, imitate Christ. And then, what, and then he goes and said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. He's talking about obedience. And what kind of obedience is Paul talking here? He's talking about obedience not only in his presence. That means Paul has this story with this church, right? Paul has a story. How many of you know if you had a letter to a church, either you heard about them or you served with them? Well, the background for this book, for that church, this is in Acts chapter 16, where Paul was on his second missionary journey, if I'm correct. And Paul went to that city and he met a lady there named Lydia. And you know who Lydia was? Lydia was a purple uh, uh, products dealer. She was a merchant. She was a businesswoman. And then Lydia got converted. So did her household. And then Paul continued to serve there. He stayed there, I think, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And as Paul is ministering there, there was somebody who had a spirit of divination who kept following Paul and kind of saying, this man are telling you the word of God, listen to them. But Paul knew what was behind that spirit and Paul cast it out of her. And that woman cost her masters a lot of money because she used to make money by giving divination. And next thing you know, persecution arose in the city of Philippi where Paul was, and Paul was thrown in jail. And when Paul was thrown in jail there, what happened? Paul and Silas, actually, both of them <laughs> were in jail at that time. At midnight, Paul decided to have a Pentecostal moment. And he and his friends started singing 
and worshiping God. And guess what happened? Miraculously, the Lord opened the jail. Now, there was a man who was in charge of that jail, uh, the Philippian jailer, as the text says, and that man's life depended on whether or Paul and Silas broke out of jail. When the man found the door open, the man wanted to kill himself because he knew he was done, because this is a Roman prison. You know, you don't let somebody out. And Paul was still there. And faith came to that man's household because he saw God's work. So this is how that church was founded. So this is a church that was founded based on Paul's preaching. And the people listened. And we have at least no two households there. And these people came to obey who? Obey God by listening to God's word preach. And they believed the gospel. Now, Paul said, just like you have always obeyed. In Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, you know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ. That means the Philippians started doing what? That same work of God that God started in them. And Paul knew until the end, till the day Christ returns, God will make them faithful, right? Now we know what Paul is talking about here, who he's talking to, the context he's talking to. And now Paul was arrested again. This time, Paul is writing from prison. The church in Philippi, out of concern for Paul, who was in jail, for preaching the gospel, not at that moment at Philippi. That's a different story here. I think he's in Roman jail cell there. And they sent a gentleman named Epaphroditus. They sent that man to give Paul some gifts, some provision that Paul needed. It's as though like if Pastor Paul were to be arrested for the gospel, they sent Junior <laughs> to bring some, some good stuff. Or Pastor Paul was in jail because he wasn't amply supplied. But guess what happened? Uh, Epaphroditus became sick. Since he was sick, the people heard of it, and the people were concerned. And, and then Paul said, God spared me because he, didn't, he, didn't, it, it, he healed Epaphroditus. And Paul write, write, wrote this letter to say thank you to the church. That's the, per, that's the occasion for that letter. But as Paul always does when he writes his letters, he doesn't miss an occasion to write some powerful theological nuggets. And that's what Paul does. He addresses the danger that comes with persecution, that the people may, not, may need to stand firm. He addresses issues with false teaching and false doctors. If you read the whole book, you'll get all of these out. But today we're in this section where Paul is talking about the walking worthy of the gospel. He's going to come to say, hey, stand firm. Show joy. Can you imagine somebody in jail is talking about joy? You know, but this is where we are right now. Paul is talking about a very powerful command. As they've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. If you put somebody's presence and absence and doing that both period, that person was your leader, you do the right thing. You know what we call that? Integrity. Integrity. That means whether you have a supervisory eyes upon you, or not, you do that which you're supposed to do. And Paul is saying, even more in my absence, continue to do what? To obey. What does that obedience look like? And this is where we're going to pack our sermon. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
This is the command. This is a pactful command, is pregnant with meaning. It says to work out our own salvation. And to do that, we have to do it with fear and trembling. Now, when I first read that text a number of years ago, I used to think, okay, does that mean I help save myself? If the Bible commands me to work out my own salvation, does that mean after Christ saved me, then I save myself or I continue to work that salvation? What in the world does that mean? And if you know Paul, you read Romans, you read Ephesians, you read all the letters that Paul wrote, you know Paul would never share such an idea. But he's the one writing here. This is not somebody else. What in the world does he mean that we need to work out our own salvation? Well, if you think of this, of what God has done for you, you can see in salvation there's at least three moments in it. There is the past where Christ justified you. This is where you did not know Jesus. You did not know God. You were living according to your own devices and inner impulses. And then when you came, you acknowledged your condition before God and you repented. And what happened there? Christ declared you righteous. Even though you're not in your own action and deeds, Christ, that's the past of salvation. That's your past. But we also know there is a future in salvation. We see in chapter 1, Paul says, God will complete it till the day of Christ. That means there is a day we will be glorified. Salvation will be called glorification, where we are in the presence of God. Everything will be consummated, perfected, to the point where we no longer have a weakened flesh anymore, a glorified body. That's the future. But in between, what is there? We call that sanctification. This is the here and now, the day today. This is where, in your classroom, God calls you to show that you are a child of God by the way you act. God asks you, wherever you are at work, this is the here and now, the day-to-day, -day where your salvation must be evident to all. So, in other words, the command is, live out, walk the walk that Christ calls you to today, not tomorrow, not the past, but today. This is the everyday life. This is the day where when we wake up today, this is where we walk with Christ, we walk with God. Now, I've been very lucky at work. Seven years ago, I started working at a bank and I had a manager. And I started at the manager. The manager asked me, where do you see yourself five years from now? I said, well, five years from now, I'd like to have your job. He said, great. He said, if you want to do that, I'll, I'll help you. And then the next week I came, I said, hey, Nick, I'm sorry. I don't want your job. <laughs> I learned. I said, Nick, instead, I want the other guy's job, the financial advisor's job, because I saw that guy made more money than he. So I didn't tell him that part. But, but that was the main motive. I said, I want, the, and he started laughing. He said, ah, oh, you already figured the game out. You realize I do a lot of work. For, but this is what I remembered about Nick. You know what Nick did? And Nick asked me what I wanted to do. I said, I want to have this job. He said, this is what I need from you. I need you. If you want to have this job, I need you to do well where you are. And I said, what do you need from me? I need you to start making phone calls. I need you to start calling people, calling clients. Tell them this, tell them that. I said, okay. And you know what he did? 
Nick not only asked me what to do, but he would walk over to my cubicle every day, sits down, and then he makes a phone call with me. He calls somebody. And then after he's done, he debriefs. He said, this is how you make a phone call. And then he said, you talk about this, talk about that. And then now you do a phone call. And he watches me. And then I make the phone call. He said, this is what you did well. This is what you can do better. Continue. And you know what happened eight months? Eight months later, Nick promoted me. This is the guy who asked me to do something. And not only did he tell me how to do it, he demonstrated it. He helps me do it. Instead of leaving me alone to figure out what it meant to be good at my job. To be good at my job meant to him make phone calls. Therefore, he didn't leave me. But not so with God. God is even better than that. You know what God does? God asks you to do an impossible task, which is to live in a manner that is opposite the flesh. God asks us to live in a manner that is opposite the internal impulse from sin that we inherited from the garden. And God ask you to do the opposite of what I was telling you. You know what God does? God doesn't just tell you to do it. God doesn't just tell you how to do it. He doesn't come and just demonstrate how to do it. You know what God does? Let's read the next verse. It says, verse 13, for it is God who does what? Who works in you. What does he work in us? And we will look at it a bit. Think about this. So the workout depends on the work in. That which God calls us to work out, he has already worked in. I don't know if you're hearing the text. I told you the text was short, but it's full with meaning. If you go too fast, you'll miss it. You think this is fairies. Fair, I mean, Christ is trying to turn you into a Pharisee. That means you, you walk in a legalistic manner. That's not what this text is talking about. God is not asking you to do that which he's just going to instruct you how to do. He's asking you to do that which he already empowers you to do. That's why there is no excuses. God asks us to do that which he already empowers us to do. Because Paul loves this kind of wordplay. You know, I know it's not that obvious in the English, but in the original language, those are the same words. The workout, the work, and just the preposition that's different. But anyway, so work out and work in. Work out your salvation. That means walk the walk because God is working on the inside. Not so you can make that phone call you're supposed to make. Is the one who actually working inside of you so that you can do two things. First one, because it is God who works in us to will. I know will sounds like this, like a verb, but actually a verb as well. To will. That means God works inside your volition, your desires, to even act according to God's good pleasure. We'll talk about good pleasure in a minute, but let's just stay here for a minute. Do you know how powerful your will is, your inner desires? I talked to a friend at work. He said he, he has a family member who is going through difficult, I mean, depression moment. When she wakes up in the morning, she cannot, uh, she doesn't have the will to get out of bed or the willpower to get out of bed. She wants to stay in like life is bleak, even though there's nothing going on. So as human beings, our motivation is key to what we do. You notice every morning you wake up to work, even if you don't want to wake up sometimes, but you still do. There's motivation going on. Where the motivation is, 
you got to pay that bill. If you don't pay that bill, you're not going to sleep under a bridge. So you find a way to get out. So even our volition, God works in to do what? So that we can do according to his good pleasure. You know, I have to define good pleasure because when I came, I stumbled upon it. I didn't understand it at first either. Uh, good pleasure, I thought it means, oh, that which makes God happy. You know, that which God's what? That's not the first time Paul uses good pleasure. If you go look around where Paul uses that in other places, it actually means the eternal purpose that God has for us. That means the very end of salvation is in mind. That means from beginning to end, salvation is God's work. Not my work. So how God does both two things, both for me to even want to do God's good pleasure, according to God's good pleasure, and also to do according to God's good pleasure. This is the second point. So not only God works in us to will, to even want, to even have the motivation or the determination, the resolution to do the good things. Guess what? God works in me to act according to it. We are told a story about a, about the, uh, a traveler. Back in the day, there was no airplanes yet. Everybody traveled by boat, by ship. And at that time, a trip from the, on the Pacific Ocean, from Europe to the New World, would be about several weeks. So the story is told about this man who he did not have a lot of wealth, so he was pretty modest means, so he barely could afford to pay a ticket to get on the ship, on the cross-Atlantic trip. So he, he musters all of his savings, he buys the ticket. Knowing that he doesn't have enough money for anything else, what did he do? He packed a bag of potatoes that he boiled for enough supply to last him for a week. And he had a gallon of boiled milk so he didn't go sour too quickly so that he could do the journey. That's all he could afford. That's all he had. So on the first day on the trip, the, some of the captains and the crew yelled, mealtime. And the man looked through the window and he saw what people were about to eat there. He saw this, you know, luxurious food that was on the table. He saw the wine. He saw the bread. He saw the meat. He saw everything. He's like, there's no way I can afford it. So he went and hide some corner in the boat. And then he ate some potatoes, drank some milk. The next day, same thing. They yelled out, mealtime. And the man just ran again. And he looked at the food. The food looks good, but he cannot afford it. So he went away and hid in a corner, drank some milk, ate some potatoes, and then goes right back uh, to his cabin again. And then day after day, the same pattern continues. Day one, two, three. And the last day of the trip, when they were about to coast to the new world, they're about to arrive, somebody has been watching the man. And they called him one day. They said, hey, friend. Do you think that you're better than the rest of us who eat with everybody doing, you know, in the cafeteria? Why have you been hiding every time they say mealtime? We notice that you just disappear. And the man said, well, I only could afford to pay the ticket. That's why I didn't want to sit with sophisticated people eating, you know, three-course meal that I have no money to pay for. I didn't want to embarrass myself. 
the friends, the, the person started to, uh, it was taken aback and said, are, are you kidding me? Did you not know once you pay that ticket, everything on this boat is included with it? That, <laughs> that means mealtime, gala, dances, everything, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner is all included. Well, that sounds ridiculous, don't you think? Well, it's not so different about many of us. Those Christ has saved, it's not that different than how we are walking with God. God calls us. He saved us. He removed our name from the list of condemnation, you know, from sin. He puts our name in the book of life. He saves us. But we live as though we were spiritually bankrupt. We do school the way the world does school. We do mental health the way the world does mental health. We do entertainment the world does entertainment as though we were spiritually bankrupt. We did not have a God in us who equips us to do all things that he calls us to do. So when you came to Christ, Christ did not only give you the command, he also gives you his spirit through whom you have not only the goodwill, but also the power to do what God's called. That's why when somebody comes to me and says, I'm doubting my salvation, I've been there, done that. The first thing you need to remember, can you keep yourself saved? It's God alone that can keep you saved. You cannot keep yourself saved. And then when people said, oh, I might have committed some sin, and I'm worried that, you know, I may die and then not go to heaven. I said, okay, let me ask you something. If you are not saved to begin with, if Christ is not working in your heart, the Spirit is not working, why would you even worry about being saved? How can you even worry about that which God wants if God did not put that in you? So I think we give ourselves too much credit when it comes to, you know, we think we are the ones doing the thing that God says himself is upon him. In other words, God is not, how do I say that? Dividing the task with you, just like we do in marriage, you know, like division of labor. You do the dishes, you know, and I cook, you know. I mean, of course, not in my house. My house is 100% labor on Maryland. But, you know, but God is not working like that. What God does, he already knew you couldn't do it, but he wants you to live it out. Therefore, he made provision for it. He gives you inside of you the spirit to do everything he asks you to do. So that means all God asks you to enjoy in Christ, he also given you. Don't be like that man who walked bankrupt. I mean, not bankrupt, obviously, but who went weeks without enjoying the good thing that was already accessible to him. So God has already given you what it takes. You know how I know this? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, you know, this is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, right? It is a gift of God, right? And then Paul says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has created for us in advance to walk in them. So that means the walk to which God calls you, God has already pre-planned. God already said in advance he wants you to do good. The reason you do good deeds is not so that you can be saved. You are doing good deeds because you are saved. You are saved for good works, not by good works. The reason you are obeying God 
It's not so that God can give you some brownie points. And then, and then think of you, you know, when, when, you, when the saints go marching in. No, you are already written in the list of the saints who are going to march in. That's what God wants you to be confident, to walk with him. What has God asked you to do today that is difficult? Is it a relationship you have to break up because it's not healthy, it's not according to God's will? What is it that God is asking you to do that's difficult? Is it about some relationship at work? Or is it to reconcile with somebody you, with whom you've been estranged from? What is it that God is asking you to do today? Is it serving your spouse in a way that's totally against your flesh? I don't know what it is. Is it living a holy sexuality that stands opposed to what the world teaches us about sexuality? I don't know what God is telling you specifically today, but I know this. Whatever he puts in front of you to walk out, he has given you what it takes from the inside to actually not only want it, but also do it. So when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? God, I know you want me to do this, but nothing in me wants to. It's okay to pray these prayers. God is not afraid of them because God put it both on himself, the responsibility to even motivate you and also strengthen you to actually want and actually do. You see this here? This is not a Bible. This is a journal that I have been given by Mary Evelyn, who was just a friend to me at the time about 14 years ago, I think. Yeah, that's early 2008. So just a prayer, a, a prayer journal. He has some scriptures at the bottom, and then you can write whatever you want in there. I use it more as a, a when people share requests with me, I write them there. When something is a burden to me, I write them there, like to pray for. And I've been doing it for years. But I'm such an inconsistent person, though I don't do it every day. Otherwise, this book would have been done. It's been for 14 years. There's still like about a third left. But I write the dates on them. When I, somebody said, hey, my son needs some prayer, I write that. And then I put little bookmarks until the person gives me a report, a situation, so I don't pray it over it again. But I've been selfish, so I put my own prayers there, and I put my nice bookmark there, and I pray over these things over the years. Do you know? And this one is the Haitian version of it. This one is in French. I didn't have a prayer journal at the time because I did not have a girlfriend yet. And so this one is in French. And I kept this one because when I tend to forget where God has taken me from, these are great reminders. This has been about 20 years old. There's some reminders in it about what God has done for me. Reminders of scripture, what God has promised to do in us. They're there. Why am I sharing this with you? I was discouraged in 2004 when I was in college in Haiti. Things were not going well. And I said, God, did you call me to fail? Did you call me to not grow? Did you call me to not? And, I, and for some reason, something dropped into my heart oh, why don't you pray to go to Bible school instead in the U.S.? I have not a dollar to my name. And I started praying, God, please send me to the U.S. for Bible school. And in there, I wrote the prayer request. Then every morning, when I eat my breakfast in my house, I would sit on the table. I would open that little pamphlet. People think I'm just eating and reading. No, actually, I'm reading and praying. And I said, God, thank you for making provision for me to come to the U.S. for Bible school. 
I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just praying because God said to pray about every need and, and then let God give us the peace of mind. That's in Philippians chapter 4 too. So anyway, so I did that. And then I started doing that as a practice. There was a book that taught me how to do that. So I started writing everything down and doing it as a practice. Do you know what happened? I prayed that prayer, uh, I think, uh, in 2005. I started praying it seriously. I was a sophomore in, in school. 2005, I met Marilyn in Haiti. She came on a mission trip. I was her interpreter. So watch out when you go on a mission trip who you talk, who is your interpreter. <laughs> so that's the lesson. But what happens is that same year, I registered to some schools. I applied to take the American SAT. And I started making steps. 2006, I was on an airplane to upstate New York to come to Bible school. I had no money. The Lord provided. There were three missionaries that ran into me in, in January 2006, and they offered to pay my school bills before I was even accepted by the school. They somehow got spoke to their heart. They're supposed to help me, to sponsor me. They said, we don't know why we're saying this to you, and we're probably never going back to Haiti, but we see something that God, is telling us, should we partner with you somehow? Should we help you somehow? And they're kind of, what is God telling you? They were, because they suspected. So I said, well, maybe I'm going to Bible school. And then, well, they said, well, as soon as you know from the school, let me know. I knew from the school. I sent them an email. They said, we'll take care of everything. They paid for the whole thing. And I was able to go to come to Bible school. And then I went to that prayer list and I checkmarked it. God has answered that one. God does not have to answer everything. But we do know if he calls us to walk a tough walk, he's the one who gives us what it takes to walk the walk. So anyway, I started praying for other people in my family as well. I could go on a list that's, I'm, I'm ashamed sometimes when I look at it, I totally forget that I pray for certain things and I'm watching God working through these things. You know, so my encouragement for you is this. We live in an age I mean, in the Western world, in the wealthy countries, we are mentally challenged. What I mean by that? I'm talking about ADHD. You know, I'm talking about what you see happening on July 4th parade. Somebody's so mentally deranged, and they decide to take other people's lives. This is, and you see young people going to school and unfortunately acting up with violence upon their classmates. We live in an age where nobody knows who they are. We are in an identity crisis. Since we don't know who we are, we're acting out that which we're not supposed to be. It's not that difficult to see because this country always had guns. We didn't see people going around and killing people just randomly, you know, out of school or any places. So there is something that is being enacted on the inside that's not right. Well, as a church, we are called to be people who exhibit the fruit of salvation. And our children, our young people, cannot act as they have no identity, as though they have, they depend on the circumstances around them to determine how they feel on the inside. No, it works inside out, not outside in, the way God designs us to work. So I'd like us to take a moment to, to ask God that, Give us a different testimony as a church. Give us a different um, knowledge of, I mean, let us be known to be a different kind of people. 
people who know they are, people who live like Christ, who walk like Christ, where the world would see the power of God in his church, when the world doesn't know they are, when the world is acting upon violence upon themselves, that they said the church is a refuge. America is a place of great revivalists. So I think we're living in the right time for a revival. And the revival has to start with me, has to start with you. And God's going to do that when we work out our salvation. When we walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And we have no excuses today. We know that. Why? Because God has done the inside job so that we can do the outside work. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And as they play, I'm going to invite you to do two things. Come forward if you'd like. Pray. You're going to pray for yourself. But more importantly, you're going to pray for somebody else. I don't know where you are in your walk in salvation. If you are doubting that you are saved, today is the day to do business with God and take care of that because God does not want anyone to doubt their salvation. I can guarantee you that. I know that from first authority in the book of first John, you know, where John wants the people to know <laughs> they are saved. God doesn't want you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to know that you are saved. But it's okay if you have, you know, because you're going to be fighting. Uh, it's fine. But come forward and pray that God would make the fruit of salvation alive in you. We invite you also to pray for somebody today that God would use you to bless someone, to pray that uh, the fruit of what the Spirit of God is doing in us will show outwardly whatever you can do for that person. So please pray for somebody today as we end our season of worship as the worship team leads us. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you missed any part of this sermon or you want to catch it again, you can do so by going to Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. And I also encourage you to go to lolag.org or ne-cc.org if you want to stay up to date on everything we have going on. God bless, and we'll see you next week.